Hey friend, this podcast is brought to you by The Family Thrive, an expert-led, science-backed online community for busy parents looking to thrive. Join us at thefamilythrive.com. If we do our work as parents, it just starts to shift the kids. As, as we calm our nervous system and we get more clarity in our mind, that transmits and the kids start to co-regulate. If you're speaking in this way, the child just starts speaking in that way. It just happens. It's monkey see, monkey do on such a primal level. They start to come down and, and it's, like a, it's like a transmission. I met Alexandra Tatarin a year and a half ago when she led an online workshop on something called the Bioemotive Framework. It was all about learning how to understand, process, and express emotions in the body so that we can become more present and connected to those around us. These practices and the ideas behind them were developed by her father, Douglas Tatarin, who was a psychologist and researcher at the University of Arizona, go Wildcats, and has been a practicing psychotherapist for the past 20 years. I'll just say here at the beginning that the bioemotive framework and Ali's coaching has had a huge impact on me, on our marriage, and my parenting. And I believe that it can do the same for every parent. And this is why we just had to reach out and bring Allie on the podcast. She's not just a bioemotive coach, but she's also a mother and a movement artist. She leads in-person and online classes in emotional health, healing movement, and a relationship practice called circling. In this episode, we learn about emotions, why they're so important, how we can use them for healing and connection, the unique emotional experiences of mothers and fathers, and so much more. If you want to learn more about your own emotions and the emotions of your kids and your partner, then buckle up. Without further ado, here's the wonderful and wise Alexandra Tatar. You are, of course, a mother, you are a bioemotive coach, you are a movement artist, and I want to talk about all of these, and I want to talk about how they intersect. But I think before we begin, we should just uh, talk about bioemotive real quick. Like, what what is this word? I'm sure listeners are already uh, feeling uh, lost and confused. So maybe we can just start with bioemotive. What does that mean? The bioemotive framework or bioemotive processing bio, like biological, emotive, like emotion. And then we could probably stick in there rational. It's a form of therapy that my father came up with. And what he was doing over the last 20 years, when absolutely no one was doing it, it's a lot more uh, acknowledged now, was he was saying that uh, when you're doing therapy with people, when you're working with people with mental illness, when you're working with people that are facing all sorts of issues, Uh, It's not just about controlling their behavior. It's actually acknowledging that they have an inner world and that inner world involves emotions and feelings. So our motto has been, we kind of have two messages. Uh, One, that emotions exist. So just do whatever you need to do. Go study whatever you need to study. Go discover whatever you need to discover. You have emotions, they're valid, they're real, acknowledge them, give them space, go do what you've got to do to have that. And this is kind of where we start specializing a little bit more. Not only do emotions exist, they can be worked with, harnessed and released in a way that you're not swimming in them endlessly. So that by actually consciously understanding your emotional system, you're not being unconsciously controlled by your emotional system which means you're able to take way more conscious action and and choices in your life. Our particular angle, which I do, I'm really careful, really careful to acknowledge like all of the amazing emotional things out there. But we we work really uh, a lot on making sure that people are integrating the intellectual, emotional and physical aspects of their being. And um, really rooted in Gendlin's focusing, where uh, you spend a lot of time, you, you tune into a different part of, of your body, your being, you just say, okay, what's, what's the story that's happening here? What's hidden? Like, what's, what's the wounding that's hidden in this pain right here? And as you follow that process, you keep asking yourself, ah, 
does that capture the essence of your pain? Mm. Or do you need to clarify it a little bit more? Yes. And so what you end up doing is you are getting more and more refined and articulate. So it's like, oh, it's not just that that person is really mean and I hate them and they're this and that. It's like, oh, when she spoke to me in this way, I felt really dismissed. Oh, and when I felt dismissed, it felt like she wasn't acknowledging that my perspective was meaningful. And when I'm not having my perspective acknowledged as meaningful, it goes even more deep, right? And, and so you keep following that thread until you basically find the like, aha moment. That is a beautiful explanation because as you described that, I recognize that's exactly what we did together. Like you helped me clarify a lot of just these emotions that, that felt just big and kind of just like a wave. And I was like, so much of, um, I think mental health and also the mindfulness kind of mainstream mindfulness, at least as I had experienced it before bioemotive, at least for me came across as, um, let the wave pass, you know, can, is there a way just to let the wave pass or can you just bring your attention back to the breath while the wave, you know, comes and goes. And what I loved about the bioemotive approach was like, oh, no, 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 the wave is like, that's where the gold is. <laughs> like, that's where the, like keep following that. And then you're going to come a- across treasure. Yeah. And it's a good capacity to be able to let the wave pass. Like, I, I will say, like, develop that capacity for sure. But there is treasure in those waves. Exactly. And like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking about this as, as like, broad strokes as I can, like not getting into theory, not getting into nuances, but it's like, what's the true essence. And yeah, in inside those waves, you can, you can take the time and you can discover it goes back to a little pin root. And if you can find that, you can pluck it out and suddenly you're like, whoa. And what I'll also comment is, um, so there's an element of this work that, that, uh, is unique to kind of like what my dad figured out and blah, blah, blah. But there's another side of it where it was like, he just sort of started to notice, oh, there's a pattern that when you're doing deep healing work that everyone's going through, they're just going through it haphazardly. The body knows how to heal if you actually just let it. And what is the most natural thing in the world to do? Get really annoyed, start talking about it, incessantly going on about it until you randomly say the thing that makes you burst into tears and someone hugs you and then you cry <laughs> and then you're over with it and you're like, oh, I just feel so much better. Thank you so much for listening to me. Right. And so it's like that really silly, easy cycle. Well, it's like, that's it. Notice you have something going on. Give space for it. Don't ignore it. Say it out loud. Cry it until your body gets rid of what it needs to get rid of and feel the release any other healing modality you do, you're going to realize, oh, I, we've just been skipping a step or, oh, we've just been bypassing one little area. So it's, it's really brilliant. It's really beautiful. Absolutely. Oh, I, yes, yes. This, is, this, this all feels very familiar. And I've attempted to weave this into my own daily mindfulness practices. Like, all right, now I'm feeling activated. All right, can I now uh, take, take these steps to talk about it? Can I let these emotions come come up? Can I can I get more precise around them? And then can I physically express them? Like this is that was a huge key for me. It's like, oh, I've been living my life in my head so much that I just assumed all emotions were just these mental products. And then to really have this awareness of like, oh no, these emotions are physical. Like these, these are absolutely in my body and they need to be expressed physically as well. Whether it's, you know, something as small as just a deep breath and a sigh or something as big as sobbing. Um, it, like these emotions need to be processed physically. They need to be expressed. And that, that was, that, that was a big game changer for me. So I am curious now how this has, or if, anything new has come up around the process of motherhood or, you know, uh, during pregnancy around the birth, maybe we can start there. Did anything new in your emotional uh, or personal growth work come up? Yeah. So I think for myself, I've, I've been doing emotional clearing work. Like it's been built into me. 
right? From a young age. Oh, can I pause there? Because uh, uh, I've heard you say that before. And I've had a lot of curiosity around this. And so like, how, how young were you when you started to learn these emotional processing tools? I think I was about seven years old when I was crying and my dad came down and asked me, well, if it had a color, Mm. what color would your sadness be right now? And I remember contemplating, no, it's blue, not yellow. And, and I remember, I remember that. So that, that was the beginning. I was about seven years old. And so then not just in childhood, but through your adolescence as well, when I'm sure emotions got really big, you already had these, these tools. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it was like, we just had space, we just had space to express ourselves and like appropriately there was boundaries where it was like, no, in this moment, you need to just go put your toys away and you need to just go do this. And then you can go cry about it later. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. You can go get that out of your system after, but right now you have, you have to do what I'm asking you to do. And that was really beautiful because it still taught regulation. Right. It was like I could honor the intensity that was moving through my body, but I still had to honor the group space of the family and go do what needed to be done. And so I've appreciated that because I, I think honoring emotions, like I said before, honoring emotions allows emotions not to run your life. And so even when I've been working uh, with different children and different youth with behavior challenges or neurological challenges, we just give a lot of space for them to honor what's going on inside their system so that we can bring them back and get them to actually do the task at hand. How did your emotional processing work or your personal growth change during pregnancy? The shift that I had in emotional processing was recognizing the importance of community. So in the beginning, the partnership that I had with the father, we we weren't sure what was going to happen. And that's that's a real thing for some of us is having to navigate that. And so recognizing uh, how important it is to not just be able to do emotional processing on your own, but when you need to be able to reach out to others that can hold space for you, Mm. but then also others that can hold space for you and help you find the things. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not, it's not just, you know, crying and expressing and releasing, which is really good. But it was like, I'm going into a perception loop here. And it's creating an issue between how I'm handling this dynamic. You know, I'm a really intelligent woman. I'm not acting so intelligent in this situation. <laughs> let, let, me, let me really do some emotional processing and like really figure out what it is that I'm getting triggered into. And so, yeah, this is what I do for a living. And I need to keep doing this work as, as, a, as a human being, right? And I'm so grateful because I'm telling you, there's, there's also a certain uh, like fierceness where it's like, I have to really look at what core feeling is getting activated in me that I don't want to feel that is pushing me into all of these like strength behaviors that is not helping this dynamic. And so I had to get myself out of a a few little fear responses because as soon as you're a mom, Mm. wow, your, your, your survival instincts are just heightened, which means you have to also become a little more eloquent. So I don't know. I mean, you can, you can dig into that if you want, but that's a Audra has described that as like the mother bear, you know, and, and this like mother bear, you know, uh, survival response. And then you said you have to become more eloquent. Can you unpack that a little bit? Well, yeah. So like with great power, mother barrenness comes great responsibility, mm. which is like now that I've got all of this like primal energy moving through my system and like precision with perception, what does the future hold? What needs need to get met? How, how are we going to implement that? Who's, who's the community coming together? That's a lot of energy moving through a woman's body. And so recognizing, especially in this time where women are getting much more respect, it's like, how, how do we flow? How do we flow those energetics? So if I'm seeing something really precisely and really important, how do I communicate that in a way that's uplifting and landing in those around me? 
Ali, what's coming up for me is that uh, hearing that you had to navigate all of this as someone who's been doing this work since age seven, what's coming up is what hope is there for us who have, <laughs> who have never done this or, you know, for somebody like me who, you know, came across this a little over a year ago. Yeah. Were there any lessons that you might be able to share for a new mom who doesn't have these tools, uh, but might be experiencing some of these same challenges? Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say kind of like the intensity that I'm going to, like, I just kind of go to like these bigger intensities. It's just sort of me. It's just my personality. I mean, the advice for the, for the new moms is, is that we're all human and it doesn't really matter how much experience you have or don't have. We're all extremely valid in the emotional experience that we're having. And what you can do as a new mom is honor in you. Yeah. If I could find people to talk to in a safe space, whether it's my best friends, whether it's my family members, whether it's an online community, if you can take that one step of self-empowerment to say, this is meaningful enough that I have to somehow prioritize it, that's it. Because, because once you have that friend or that group or whatever, where you're able to just say, this is a safe space to talk. This is a safe space to share. This is a safe space to cry and then put your makeup back on and, and go back out into the world. That is, that is empowering. And it really doesn't matter if you're brand new to emotional processing or if you're a therapist. We're all in that humanity position together. A decade ago, Audra and I received news no parent ever expects to hear. Your four-year-old son has brain cancer. In that hospital room in Orange County, California, we had our fair share of tears and despair. But we also vowed that we would use this to help our family thrive no matter what. A decade later, after starting a nonprofit that has served thousands of childhood cancer families, we're on a mission to bring all of the amazing researchers, doctors, therapists, and other experts we've worked with to all families everywhere. That's why we created The Family Thrive, an online platform and community of top health and wellness experts and parents like us who are looking to thrive against the odds. It has fresh daily expert articles and topics that matter to parents like us, like how to cook a superfood meal in under 20 minutes, or the latest sleep science that can boost our kids' mental health, or simple things we can do to thrive as parents. We have top credentialed experts breaking it all down into bite-sized chunks of actionable wisdom. And you know when they say it takes a village to raise a family? Well, this is our village, and it's filled with quick-bite expert wellness information and conversations that are designed specifically for busy parents. And when you're ready to dive deeper, we also have group-based workshops written and led by PhD researchers, psychologists, and clinical dietitians. This village is all on your phone, at your fingertips, whenever you need it. Join for free today at thefamilythrive.com. So the birth comes, were there any uh, experiences around the birth where you, you had to draw on your emotional processing tools or was it more of a like instinctual thing where you just kind of went with the flow? I, w I wouldn't say I had any specific like emotional processing uh, experiences during the birth, but in the communities that I'm part of, there's uh a lot of emphasis on on natural and at home birthing. And that wasn't a process that I went through. I, I went to the hospital and I was taken care of very, very well in the hospital. And uh, I could feel myself almost feeling a little bit quietly shamed by all of the women that I knew that have like <laughs> done their wild mama births yeah, in their living room. Yes. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I just said, you know, I'm here at this hospital and I have got like seven nurses, these amazing women who have all gathered here to make sure that me and my baby come through this together. And I am going to give all of that over. Like, I'm going to trust these women. I'm in their turf. I'm in their territory. 
They were all really kind and loving to me. And so, again, it was sort of that attitude of community. But it was, it was, there was an emotional ache that I had to say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let that get under my skin, you know? And so I had an amazing birth experience. So this is an aspect of parenting that is unique, I, I think, for moms, is I remember Audra experiencing uh, some of this around ha- having to have a C-section, and it was planned. And, and so, like, it because of medical necessity, it just had to happen. And there was a, a feeling, it was like this subtle, like, yeah, not doing it the natural way, like, and then uh, around breastfeeding, and then and then adding in formula. And, and so, there were, there were all these, these things that as a dad, I just, it was like, it didn't register at all. It was like, who cares? Like, I mean, we have a healthy kid and like, you know, and if we supplement, you know, the breastfeeding with the form, like who cares? And, but it was this whole, the, now in retrospect, you know, with Max is now 14 years old, so it was a long time ago, but there, there was this whole emotional world that Audra was experiencing that I had very little awareness of. What I'm hearing for, for, for you is you were able to not just, um, shake off some of those judgments that you might be perceiving, but then you also were able to look at your current situation with these nurses and this community that was there to care for you in the hospital as well. I wonder if there's been any other experiences like that where you've been able to navigate those social judgments around motherhood. It's like there's this interesting balance between, um, it's like, I mean, there's, you know, there's research, of course, right? Like, if you do it this way, then this is proven to show this and blah, 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 blah. And so this is why it's ideal to do, you know, all of these sort of things. But the way that I see it, like for the breastfeeding example, is we know so much that if, if you're one of the families where circumstances happened, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, pressure on the mother, whether it's biological issues with feeding, whatever it is, we have enough knowledge now that we can say, because there was this thing that we had to overcome at this time, we can recognize the impacts. And so we can use all of our resources and understanding to kind of make up for it in a future way. So if if there's some sort of, I mean, I'm kind of thinking about that a little bit more behaviorally, but there's like this dual, all women should be empowered to do as they want to do as mothers. But if you don't follow it the right way, <laughs> we are subtly going to have an issue with how you're yeah. doing it. And so, and so it's like, you're getting these mixed messages. But then again, this kind of goes back to, if you can recognize in yourself, oh, the way that that woman or the way that that worker said that to me, it's triggering some of my own insecurities around this, 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 and this. I can acknowledge that I've got, you know, these little wounds where I want to be seen as the perfect mom because I want to be seen as significant and in, in all of these stuff. You can just kind of quickly jump past it and say, and I'm not perfect and I'm okay. I don't have to be perfect. And I think you, you do kind of have to be tough as a mom and that toughness hopefully doesn't translate into like inflexibility, right? Where you feel safe enough to still learn, but there is a certain, yeah, I'm doing it this way. And maybe no one here agrees. And maybe I'll change my mind tomorrow or I'll educate myself and I'll do it differently tomorrow. But like in this moment, this is who I am. This is what's happening. And my kid is going to be okay in the long run. And, and really kind of keeping that larger, that long-term view, because like, otherwise you're just going to start obsessing over every little thing. And you're not, obs- this is, this is the essence. Oftentimes we're not actually caring about what the kid needs. We're caring about what people are thinking about us as parents. So it starts, yeah, in the womb and then th- throughout the rest of their lives. Cause it's this, I mean, all the way up through what college did your kid get into? You know, so absolutely, absolutely. Oh, so there's a lot of, uh, uh, emotional processing and self-awareness work that parents can can do all the way through (laughs) that uh, can pay dividends.
so now we talked about pregnancy. So now um, in uh, infancy, early childhood, what has been coming up for you again in, in this uh, around emotional processing or personal growth or just all of this work that, that, that you do? I think what I just what I just said there, like one the the kind of like personal thing I've been contemplating is is making sure that I'm making choices for my child, that I'm not making choices because of me getting pulled into other people's perceptions and and their views. Yeah. So how do you do that work? Because I can imagine that uh, it's not always easy to pull pull out. Like what. What is the social judgment piece that I have? And then what is the inner knowing piece that I have? How do you do that work? Well, for me, it's like the inner knowing is um, I'm, my kid is good. I'm going to somehow screw my kid up no matter what I do. So give, give her the tools to be able to feel empowered and strong enough and love herself enough and love me enough that when she needs to go get therapy and figure out whatever that she can, that she'll just be like, yeah, this is, this is part of life. And, and what I have been thinking a lot about is I, I'm that kid that liked going to school. I liked having the consistency. I liked having, now we take a break. Now we go to recess. Now we come back. Everyone stands in line. Um, there's a, there's a beauty to like, let's all walk single file down the hallway. And, and even as a, as a actor, a theater performer, a sports player, you, you, you start to love, like, let me surrender my own will for the greater of the group, right? Let me play my role really effectively so that the larger whole can accomplish something. So I love that. But what I'm recognizing is the way we were raised was, you know, you kind of like did what you were told. You just, you did what you were told and you would override, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a passion about this, this is what needs to get done. And this was, I mean, I, I grew up in a small, small town here in, in Manitoba, Canada. So I don't know what it's like in other places, but there was a bit of a strictness. But what I'm seeing is we are moving into um, a different world where children need to be strong enough to say no. When kids start saying no to their parents, it's terrifying. Kids have a lot of power, right? And as parents, we have to somehow direct that energy for them to stay empowered, be able to say no, right? As a young girl, no, this is my body, not yours. No, you can't, you know, no, you can't do that. Like somehow we have to bring in that no without egocentricness. And so what I'm really um, exploring is there were things that I valued growing up as a child, but with my daughter, I'm like, I'm going to have to give her more freedom than I had because she's, she's going to be living in a world where she has to take charge and she has to take the lead and she has to be able to negotiate. So when I grew up, it was like, don't negotiate with me. Just do as you're told, this is what you're going to have. With my daughter, I'm like, no, she's going to have to learn how to negotiate. She's going to have to learn how to like say, well, mom, maybe if you did this and this, then I'll do this and this. And, and that's a very big mindset shift for me to say that's actually a life skill that she could be having. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. I remember uh, taking a sociological theory class over 20 years ago and we were reading this book by this sociologist who argued that one of the key differences for kids growing up, um, it, he used the term uh, in modernity, but we can just say, you know, these, these days, uh, as, as opposed to 100 years ago or almost in any time in the past, is that our ancestors had identities and roles that were just given to them. It was like, hey, man, your dad was a you know, cobbler, you're going to be a cobbler and your dad went to this particular church and that's what you're doing. And it wasn't even a question. And then he, he says, but today it's not just that, you know, we have choices or we get to have choices. No, no, no. we're forced to have choices. And that landed on me like, like, no, no, no. Like <laughs> you don't have a choice. You have to, you have to choose. 
because it, your role, your identity is not given to you. And so that, yeah, yeah, I, I really like what, uh, what, what, what you're, what you're saying, but it, it, it feels, oh man, it feels like such a rocky parenting path. Well, it just comes, it's, it's keeping me humble. It's, it's keeping me <laughs> humble because, because I have, I have been that person that's kind of like been like, well, this is not how I would do it. And, and, and over the years I've gone, you know, I've kind of watched some of these kids grow up and they're like really confident, self-empowered kids. And so like, maybe it wasn't so bad that they had, that they were like this when they were younger, because it kind of started to work out as they got older. So you do have experience in foster care. And so, so you do have experience with children, as you said, it was pri- primarily ages uh, seven to 12. Um, so what did you learn in that experience that you are anticipating that you're going to be able to put to use? <laughs> the main things I've learned is I, as, as I've, I often, I was always often working with very intense children. Um, and so that, Sometimes I'll go into like a regular school and I'll be like, oh, this is so easy. What is going on? <laughs> yeah. I think I just learned a lot about, about behavior and the mind working with these kids and so much of what's going on in the kids. If we do our work mm. as parents, it just starts to shift the kids as, as we calm our nervous system and we get more clarity in our mind that transmits and the kids start to co-regulate they start to come down and, and it's like a, it's like a transmission. If, if you're speaking in this way, the child just starts speaking in that way. It's, it's just like, it, it just happens. It's, it's monkey see monkey do on such a primal level. Like if you're doing your work, I mean, that's such a luxury oftentimes to be able to do personal work and self-reflection. So I, I, I don't want to throw that out there lightly, but if, if you are, the chaos that's kind of going on inside of our systems is the chaos that's manifesting around us. And then that's, and that's beautiful. That's not something to be shamed about. That's just something to recognize and dance with and play with. And the more that we can just come back to our own, this is that breath. This is the chaos. This is my next step. And I don't have to know what my next step after that next step is. That just that is what calms a kid right down. So Ali, one one thing that I experienced after doing work with you in the bioemotive um, framework is, uh, well, actually the interesting thing, I think on the first session that we had in that workshop, I, well, I remember it. I described being triggered by Max um, like the day before uh, there was, there was some dispute around video games in the morning before school and I was triggered and I got upset and I was, and so I, so I, I kind of have that as a, as a marker for me. And what happened over the course of several months after that, um, was, or my experience. And I now have the reflection of Audra and the kids that this, this is what they experienced as well. Uh, being able to get closer to my own challenging emotions and to dig in and to really feel them and to process them. And then what, what felt like, you know, a wave that was just going to crush me eventually I would say, Oh, it's not going to crush me. Like I can actually, uh, you know, go through it and actually learn more and, and be even fuller on the other side um, that I was then able to, hold space or, or just be comfortable with my kids difficult or challenging emotions. And so I was no longer trying to shut their difficult emotions down. I was able to actually sit with them or like you, you described with your dad, you know, um instead like I can imagine a dad who just a typical dad who isn't a psychologist who doesn't have a PhD who would say to the kids stop crying over the blocks or or just, you know, calm, calm down. And instead he came and was like, no, let's, let's explore these feelings. And so I really recognize what you're saying about this, uh, let's say monkey see monkey do of like, if I'm more regulated and this calmness is, is going to kind of percolate outward, but there was this other piece that just totally surprised me that the more I'm comfortable with my own challenging 
emotions and my my own triggers and my own internal junk like the 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 more comfortable i am with that then the more comfortable i am just being with my kids internal junk and just letting it be and letting it express itself and just being here for it instead of trying to squash it behind every crazy behavior there's a feeling <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so instead of squashing it can we like let that feeling come come forth and can we yeah can can we hold space for it and can we talk about it so one thing i w- want to make sure that we talk about so we've mentioned your work as a bioemotive uh, coach, uh, or for l- listeners who might have just like skipped ahead, an emotional processing coach, and then a mother, um, somebody who has worked in the foster care system in Canada. Um, but then there's this other identity that you have as a movement artist. And so I want to know, first of all, what is a movement artist? I work teaching and performing movement expressive movement, healing movement, and also performative movement. Kind of the the other life that I've had has been um, as, a, as a performer, but as a performer, I've always seen how powerful expressing myself through my body has been. So through dance, but I would never call myself a dancer because that's just like a whole other, uh, it's just a whole other world is to go into that. It's more, more of a performance artist. During my years training in theater, uh, basically I got to get exposed to all sorts of just wacky modalities uh, for through movement. So what I what I started to discover as a performer was that the time that I would take to do all of these like performance practices, this was the difference between me being able to have a space to safely express really, really, really deep emotional states that didn't have a place anywhere else. So I was getting to have really powerful cathartic releases through these trainings. And I started to recognize, oh, other people need to be able to do this. When you're, when you're working as a performer, your body is your, your instrument and uh, you need to clean out your body. So you need to get rid of the blocks. And that means learning how to like unlock where the tension is and release it in a, in a really, really effective way. So now a lot of a lot, kind of the, the other side of the, of the work that I do is how do we take the heaviness of your day and how do we let that go on the stage? How do we perform it through our bodies? So this, this work uh, is, is done on, on a stage. On a stage or in a room, it just depends on what we've got rented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I was wondering, like, is this, uh, yeah, is this only on a stage, or is this something that can be done just in a in 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 a room? Is it is it done with multiple people? Yeah, so um, this can be done anywhere. You can do it on your bed. Uh, I've I've had I've had a movement practice where I don't leave my bed, and I just I I'll, I'll, I'll explain what that practice is, but. Um, Basically, for so for example, there's a woman named Gabrielle Roth. She started something called Five Rhythms. Five Rhythms is saying that we all have five different basic rhythms that exist in our bodies, and we all have biases towards one rhythm over another rhythm. Uh, and you can use this, um, oh, flowing. I like to be in a flowing state versus staccato, like these hard, soft, versus lyrical. Hi, I'm up here. Versus chaos, which is like, ah! versus stillness. And if you take the time to allow your body to explore each one of those rhythms, you're going to discover that there's some part of you that, oh, finds deep peace in flow, but also is afraid of flow. It's afraid of slowing down. It's afraid of being gentle. It's afraid and now you get to work with that, right? And usually there can be an emotional release through that. And then you dance that release out of your system. So it's, it's bypassing the intellect. It's helping unlock what's locked in your system. And it's also helping you kind of, you get these little insights of like, Oh, I always have to be strong and pushing. What happens if I came to my partner with a little bit more gentleness now that I'm a little less afraid of gentleness or she's gentle. And I don't know how to handle gentle, right? 
or, oh, I've been mistaking how he's behaving for being angry. He's not being angry. He's just being direct. I like to be indirect all the time, but I've been confusing anger for directness. So you, you start to discover through, through your own movement patterns, your psychological kind of um, tendencies. So a practice that I can just offer to people yeah. So, I mean, one, go look up five rhythms. They're awesome. Um, it's, it's, I, I mean, I tend to make everything much more therapeutic. So, I'll, you know, um, but go look up five rhythms is great. A practice that I can offer is, uh, yeah, if you're waking up in the morning and in particular, if you're feeling kind of depressed or like low energy, contract your whole body and then release out do that a couple times. You're, you're focusing on, um, on your gut contraction, expansion, contraction, expansion, and then allow your body to just start moving how it wants to move. Follow the impulse. You're going to feel like a funny tingle in your shoulder or like a funny little feeling in your toe. And if you follow that within eight to 15 minutes, your body will have naturally wrung out whatever depressive state that it has. And you may find yourself making funny noises like roaring or like, beep, 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 like making ridiculous sounds. It doesn't matter. It's going to activate a state of play, which activates a state of awe, which is going to activate then a really good chemical in your brain. And you're going to wake up feeling happy, but you have to allow your body to go through what it wants to go through. So 10 minutes less. So I imagine there are some people who, you know, live in their heads like me and are saying, gosh, like, how do I even get there? So are, are there some preparatory uh, pieces of advice that you can give f- people who are like trapped in their head and it, it might sound strange to, to try to get into their bodies like that? For sure. How about you hop out of bed, stand beside your bed and you play with the three planes. You reach up, but not only do you reach up, you reach beyond how you can reach. You pull out of your realm, you go up, 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 and then explore the side, reach as far as you can behind you, and then go to the ground and explore the lower plane. And if you move between all three of those planes and then to each side, that's a very, very simple way to wake you up. I love that. That feels like it is also something or this, this, this whole, this whole movement piece is also something that can be done between parents and kids too. Have you, have you seen that? I, I mean, cause I've, I, I have, I've heard of this work and also in my work with you over bioemotive, th- there was a lot of movement pieces to it that I've been able to incorporate and absolutely love. Um, but I'm not aware of, bringing this into maybe like a a parent child practice. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, you know, stuff off the top of my head is is just a good mirroring game. So Mm. sit with your child, uh, make eye contact, kind of be with the like gigglies that are there. And as you're present, then you just wave one hand and have your child follow. And as you do this mirroring game together, then you say, okay, now you lead right? And you try to get them to slow down enough. But what happens is it's getting the two of you guys in sync. And it's giving a shared experience of how to be a follower with, you know, you respect someone else leading, but also how to be a leader. And then if you really, really want to play, you say, okay, now neither of us is following and neither of us is leading. And there becomes this very beautiful dance of, of, who is leading? Who isn't? And and it it creates such a state of peace, you know, and it can be silly. You can go really, really fast. Okay, now go so fast and then everyone just falls apart. Yeah, I love that. But it's it's the simplest thing you can do. It can be your your shared meditation experience in the mornings. It's great. All right, Ali. So I I, I wanna wrap up this part by asking about teens. We're doing a workshop right now on parent-teen communication for the Family Thrive, working with uh several therapists on this. And just really getting into the idea that it it's 
like it's it's a really new space because I mean it is this like transition between childhood and adulthood and so much is happening. Do any of these practices change? Are there is there anything special to bring into the teen parent relationship? So I'm I'm definitely not a, a teen expert. I will definitely say that. And what's what's happening in the teenage years is uh youth are are developing a relationship to their own authority. And so what's happening is they're having to, you guys are, we're, we're all having to navigate my authority versus your authority. How do I keep my authority while you're still developing your own inner authority? And so there's a negotiation that's taking place. Uh, when you have kind of like the super rebellious aspect of teenage life, that's them learning their own authority. And sometimes they're having to push up against really serious extremes for them to know where they end and the world begins. And so, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get everything right and perfect, but you, you can push back, hold that strong boundary and give a space for negotiation. How can they get further next time. So because what's what's happening is is they still have to honor and respect the the whole and the collective and what we as parents are is we are representing the whole and the collective. So we're having to say yes you're an amazing individual, yes you're stepping into your power and you somehow have to hold some sort of regard for the larger group because it's not just about you. And that's, you're just going to be in a constant back and forth in that. It's a negotiation, right? And depending on if you want your kid to be an entrepreneur and in all of these crazy leadership positions, well, like it or not, you probably want them to learn how to lead, <laughs> right? And give them that space if, if that's what their disposition is, even if it's really uncomfortable for us, right? So this is part of that you know, we're living in a new era and, and we want to give space for our kids to step into those, those capacities. Are there any important differences in emotional health, emotional health practices for moms versus dads is, I mean, are we, are we basically working off the same template or is there something special that moms need to be aware of versus dads in taking care of their own emotional health, growing emotionally, emotional processing, the whole the whole thing. I wouldn't state, oh, moms versus dads. What I would state is we have, some of us are more insight oriented and some of us are more deep expression oriented. So maybe women are more deep expression and maybe men are more in their head and insight, but I'm, but of course it can be vice versa. So um, if you are someone that already has access to your emotional system and you're already big and you already cry and you're already, you know, yelling and you're already in that kind of like big way. Well, then you do your emotional processing in such a way that helps calm those intensities, right? You you're learning how to how to kind of self-regulate, bring it down, you're figuring out I'm in my I'm in this activation which is causing me to act like this. Give me a minute, let me go work it out. So that's, that's important. Um, if you find yourself always repeating the same sentence, you, there's something that you haven't resolved in yourself, or there's a dynamic between you and your partner, you and your kid that you have to look at. It just says, it just says that there's something there. But on the flip side, if you tend to be more insight oriented, then you want to be able to open up more of that emotional expression. And the advice for that is, Go for a long drive. Uh, maybe you're on the freeway and let it out. Yell at the top of your lungs. Yell at the top of your lungs until your body feels at peace. Once your body feels at peace, you're like, oh, okay, glad I got that let out. Or, you know, do that sports thing that you're doing. But when you're doing it, consciously take the emotion from the day that you've kind of locked off and, and, 
put it into that run, like channel that emotion. So some of us are are more cut off from our emotions and we need to learn how to shake it up and, and open it up. Some of us already have a lot of access to it and it's more about refining, refining those intense spaces. Love it. And love it. both are great. Love it, love it. Thank you. All right. So uh, before we get to the final three questions that we ask every single guest on the show, I want to make sure that listeners know how to find out more about what you're doing um, and all the new stuff that's going to be coming for for you. Yeah, please. My my website is Hoji Alexandra, H-O-J-I-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A dot C-A, Hoji Alexandra dot C-A. And that's where you'll get... Um, my movement stuff, my circling stuff, my communication stuff, just all of the things that I do. I also go through bioemotiveframework.com where I do my coaching and run my classes. We have a six-week intensive coming up uh, in fall. So when does that start? Uh, Mid-September. Yeah, hojialexander.ca and then bioemotiveframework.com. And yeah, reach out to me, uh, whether whether it's for coaching or questions. I'm, I'm always happy to send an email where I can or refer you to people uh, if there's something that I'm not able to to give the highest and best advice for. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So our final three questions. First, if you could put a post-it note on every parent's refrigerator tomorrow morning, what would that post-it note say? Find the feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Behind every intense behavior, there's a feeling. Remember that Mm. it will save you so much. (laughs) Beautiful. All right. And the second question is, uh, is there a quote that you've seen l- lately that has changed the way you think or that has really moved you? Mm, yeah, this is Gabrielle Roth's book. To cast off the world's spell, our inner rhythm takes over and we begin to sense who we really are and how great our potential is. Back to movement and uh, the rhythms. Beautiful. All right. So then our final question is, what do you love about kids? their playfulness and the fact that um, if you actually take the time to enter into their reality, uh, you will discover how big reality is. That Mm. play is very serious to them. And uh, when we as adults are able to take that playfulness into our day-to-day life, we start becoming actual masters of our existence. Very, very amazing. Yeah. Mm, Beautiful. Allie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us on the Family Thrive podcast. And we can't wait to do it again. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening to the Family Thrive podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell two friends and head on over to Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts and give us a review. We're so grateful you've chosen to join us on this Family Thrive journey.